0: We are in Ephesians chapter 6, and I promise, I know the youth, you're in here the first Sunday of the month, and we didn't plan it this way, I promise, but we are going to deal initially with children obeying their parents. Um, we, I promise we didn't plan it that way, but here we are. I heard something this week um, that's really stuck with me all week. Uh, someone said, and, and I really had to think about this um, to make sure that it's biblical, because sometimes we hear something, and we're like, man, that's good, but it's not necessarily biblical. Like, God helps those who help themselves. You know what verse that is? None. It's not, it's not. No, there may be some biblical principles behind it, but, but, but this one stood out. Uh, it was during a debate, uh, and... One of the presenters said, becoming a Christian is going from suppressing the truth to professing it. He said, becoming a Christian is going from suppressing the truth to professing it. And that stuck with me. Because I think a lot of times we think someone's unbelief is simply from a a lack of evidence. Or maybe they just haven't heard the gospel clearly explained. Or they haven't heard a, a convincing enough argument. But the reality is if Jesus came down here today and he performed miracles and he raised the dead and he healed the sick, people would still not follow him. Why? Because he's already done that, and people did not believe. See, for many, it's not an issue of evidence. It's an issue of the heart. And I know that's true, because that's how it was for me. Scripture says that we love the darkness, We did not receive the light. We did not, man did not receive Christ because we love the darkness. And I related to that because as a young man, I did not doubt the existence of God. I didn't even doubt the existence of a historical Jesus that came and died for my sins. I just did not want any part of it. It was a heart issue. And it's not until we go from suppressing the truth to professing it, it's not until that happens that we experience what salvation truly means. See, salvation comes from surrender, and the truth presses in on us daily. Paul writes in Romans that creation proclaims the glory of God. We look around us and there is, even in a chaotic world, there is still an underpinning of order and structure. Things make sense. We can do science because there is order. In a world of complete chaos, that wouldn't be possible. Creation is constantly pointing us to a creator, and we have to suppress the truth and ignore the truth that really smacks us plain in the face every day. What did Jesus say to Paul on his road to Damascus? He said, Paul, Paul. Or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what was Saul's response? Who are you? Here's a man that's on a mission from God, and he doesn't even know when God speaks to him, and then Jesus says, why have you been kicking against the goads? And that word goat, again, we don't use it today, but it's a long stick with a point at the end that was used to prod cattle to make them go in the direction that you wanted them to go. And what Jesus was saying is, why are you kicking against me? Why are you resisting me? So a lot of times we think salvation comes from just hearing the perfect argument. Now, don't get me wrong, we have to profess the gospel, and this is what this morning is going to be all about but sometimes even when it's made plain and we know the truth, we still want to suppress it. But we need to yield to the truth that presses in on us daily. And that's why many of you are here. Are here. Because you've, you've given in. You acknowledge there is a God and it's not you. And that you needed forgiveness and you found that forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ. God become flesh. And He died for you. And on that cross, that's where your sins remain. And today you stand right before God, forgiven. That's what you believe. And so what we've been learning in the book of Ephesians, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul has professed the truth, and now he's teaching us how to live it out. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, See, Paul's been dealing with relationships, too. He's really just getting practical with us. I think so many people live their lives living for the next vacation, that they're looking for the next event, they're looking for the next experience, but they forget about the day-to-day relationships that really bring meaning and purpose to life. That's where the majority of our lives are spent, in our day-to-day relationships, not in Tahiti or or Puerto Rico or wherever you guys vacation Yuma or wherever you guys enjoy spending time, but the majority of our lives are spent with one another. So he has dealt with wives respecting their husband, being their husband's biggest advocate and support and fan, and husbands sacrificially laying down their lives for their wives, putting their, the needs of their wives before their own, loving them in the way that Christ loves the church. Again, we said that that is a supernatural work that we can't do in the flesh. And so now you have this home where the, husband res- the wife respects the husband, the husband loves the wife, and you have children. And how are the children supposed to exist in this home that professes the gospel to an unbelieving world? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So as a young person, you're wondering, how do I fit into this picture of a family that tells the world about Jesus? This is it a wife respecting a husband, a husband loving his wife sacrificially, and kids that obey their parents. And what is at stake here isn't just a home in order, it's a picture of Christ. See, in this world where people love darkness, they need to see something different. And again, this isn't groundbreaking to any of you the family is under attack families are in turmoil and god gives us a path forward to show how we are to be a city set on a hill, the salt of the world and that's with the family in order look at what he says children obey your parents in the lord for this is what this is a great suggestion this is a good idea, give it a shot. No, this is right. And we can read past that and just think, okay, it's good, it's right. No, this is right. This is what this world needs. In a world where the only thing that's wrong is being told what to do, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We need to know what is right. Because we live in a fallen world that tries everything that is wrong to find some form of fulfillment or purpose, and then whatever you build in the flesh crumbles. But God says, let me tell you what is right, what lasts, what is eternal, what is significant, what is of value. We we need to know what is right, and the world is constantly saying, no, no don't tell me what to do. Relationships can be whatever we want it to be. And look at the condition of the world today. We have turned from what is truly right to do whatever is right in our own eyes, but God gives us a good structure, a good order. He created the family. He gets to define it. And that structure and in in that order, again, is what's going to profess to the world that our God is good. When there's order in our families, both here at home and here at church, when there's order to the way we care about others at work, We profess the gospel when we live out our identity and our purpose as God designed it. So I'm going to just real quickly, I want to sum up where we've been, where we are today, and where we're going to go. But I'm going to sum it up from Paul's words in Colossians, because Paul does a much better job of summarizing. Then we'll pray and we'll get into it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also w- will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And now you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now jump down to verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him." "'Wives, submit to your own husbands "'as it is fitting in the Lord. "'Husbands, love your wives "'and do not be bitter toward them. "'Children, obey your parents in all things, "'for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. "'Fathers, do not provoke your children, "'lest they become discouraged. "'Bondservants, obey in all things your masters "'according to the flesh, "'not with eye service, as men-pleasers, "'but in sincerity of heart, fearing God.'" And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Lord Jesus, this, um, this time that you've placed before us to gather as your family and set our minds on your word, Lord, I pray that you'd renew our minds. Lord, this amazing reality that you've taken us out of this world, you've set us apart from this world, you've given us a new identity, a new name, you've filled us with your Spirit, but you place us back into this world, you keep us holy so that we may proclaim your goodness to the lost world. Help us be busy about our purpose, not going through the motions but living out of the overflow of our time spent with you. Lord, make your name known. Lord, my confidence this morning is not in my abilities, but in the reality that you desire to speak to your church and that you will speak through your word. Lord, thank you that our confidence is in you. And not the circumstances, not the trials of this life, but in the one true God. So, Lord, speak this morning. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, chapter 6, verse 1 of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth everyone's favorite word obey right obey your parents why does god care so much about who we obey and how we obey them children let me tell you this young people let me let me make this very clear i got this wrong I failed to obey my parents, so now I'm doing my best to honor them. I I was about to say I'm no longer under their roof, but (laughs) we we can talk about that later. Um, But one of these things is for a time, the other is for a lifetime, because at some point, A man will marry his wife, the two will become one flesh, and they will leave their father and mother's home and then maybe come back. But (laughs) while you are under their roof, obey your parents. Why? Because this is your first opportunity to to trust God. Did you choose your parents, any of you? Did you go down a list, like Chipotle style, and you're like, okay, this, this family looks fun and I choose them? No. So this is your first opportunity to say, God, I didn't choose my parents, so, but I trust you, so I'm going to obey the authority that you've placed in my life. Because what is happening is by trusting your parents, you are learning to trust God. Show me someone who disobeys their parents, and I'll show you someone who does not care about their relationship with the Lord. That was me. See, there is always, and this is for, again, Paul is talking to the church here. So he is talking to those who are are redeemed, who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's telling these kids, listen to your parents and obey them. That word obey, it comes from a knocking at the door and opening the door. The word obey is not just doing what they ask. It means listening with active listening, ready to respond. It is literally the, the Greek word for answering the door. Now, does it mean that you're waiting hand and foot on your parents, ready to bring them an iced tea? Yes, that's exact. No, I... <laughs> but it means that you are you understand what God is doing. Your time with your parents, and I can't say this more clearly, is very short. I know it feels like forever right now. And sometimes, you, I think as young people, we are just waiting for our lives to begin, As soon as I get out of my parents' house, then my life will begin. And we think of spiritual things that way, too. As soon as I get out of my mom and dad's house, then God's going to do something in me. No, God's doing something in you now. And he's using your relationship with your parents to teach you what it means to submit to authority. Because, listen, a life of purpose comes from a life submitting to the authority of God in your life. Romans 6.12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. In Romans 6.16, Do not... Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Guys, your flourishing is dependent on who you submit your life to. We are all obeying something or someone. And my my plead, as I plead with you, I beg you, submit to To God's authority, he is a good father. And our good father says, young people, obey your parents. For this is right. See, the fall of man had very little to do with fruit and everything to do with authority. When Satan stepped into the garden or slithered into the garden and challenged God's authority... Adam and Eve had a decision to make. Would they trust God and His goodness? Or would he believe the serpent who said, God is holding back from you? If you will eat of this fruit, you will know the difference between good and evil, and you will become like God. But they had already been created in the image of God. See, this is is all about authority. Authority. And the spiritual in our life must always take precedence over the carnal. And that is far from easy. Learning to say no to our flesh and yes to the spirit, the proving grounds, the training grounds in childhood is saying yes to our parents and no to what we want to do. And that is very difficult. And the question has always came up when we were in youth ministry. What if my parents are not believers? Again, as much as possible, without sinning, you conform to the rules of that home and in doing so, you honor God. And I would say, and as we go through all of this, husbands loving their wives and sacrificing their wants and their needs for their wife, the question is always, What if my wife isn't a believer? Then even more so. Husbands, respect, or wives, respect your husband. What if he's not a believer? Even more so. Children, obey your parents. What if my parents don't know the Lord? I come here on my own. I love Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Then even more so. Because I don't think there's a better picture of the gospel Than loving and serving someone who simply doesn't deserve it. Because who in here does? How many of us are deserving of what Christ did for us? Obey your parents. God is using your parents to teach you to be obedient to Him. And it is not easy bringing our flesh into submission. This is your training ground. So obey them. That's not going to last forever. You're going to go out on your own, and you're going to make your own decisions. But one thing that I do believe is forever is honor, honoring your parents. That word honor means to prize, to value, to respect. It's when you reveal the importance of someone through the way that you love them, the way that you value them, the way that you treat them, you are revealing to them by the things you say and the things that you do that they are important to you and that honor is a lifetime even if they don't deserve it see again Paul here what, this isn't some new idea that Paul dreamt up right what, what is Paul quoting the commandment Right? Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And then he says it's the first commandment with a promise. And you don't have to be a theologian to wonder, wait a second, that doesn't add up. The first commandment? Well, what's the first commandment? Is it honor your father and mother? No, it's love the Lord your God So why would Paul say it's the first commandment? Well, what does he say? He says it's the first commandment with a what? A promise. There's a blessing tied to it. Honor your father and mother. Now, he's not saying, and you're guaranteed 90 years if you honor your father and mother. You're going to live to be 100 years old. See, that long life isn't about quantity. It's about quality. It's the strength and fullness of having a strong family. Some of you relate to this. How many of you have a big family and you spend a lot of time around the dinner table laughing and enjoying one another's company? That's a precious gift. Is there something else? (laughs) Is that... There's, there is something else, Siri. <laughs> Some of you, because of your culture, family plays a huge role in your life. But I think it's something that's been lost. Uh, on uh, my dad's side of the family, we have family reunions. And we haven't been in a, in, a, in a while. It's expensive to fly four kids to Pennsylvania, uh, but someday. But it is amazing having 80, 100 people, all with the same heritage, the same legacy, multiple pastors, every, the majority love Jesus. It's a legacy. I think that means something to the Lord, and that's what the Lord is trying to build into us here, that we honor our family. When I asked my wife's father for her hand in marriage, I didn't do it because I was under his authority. I did it because I wanted to show him I respected him. I valued him. I honored him. I was dressed like Elvis, and that's a whole nother story, but I, I wanted to... Show him that he was important. honor means. It means to treasure and protect your relationship with your parents, to protect the bonds of family, to allow God to, to cultivate that support system where generation after generation who have experienced many of the same life events together can sit around the dinner table and laugh and share life with one another. That is a good thing. And maybe you haven't had that in your life. Guess what? You can start a new legacy Now, God looks beyond just this generation. He's looking forward into the next, into the next, into the next, and He wants to build a heritage on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're the one who starts something new, but you have to submit to the authority of God. Honor your parents. My dad modeled this for me so well. And I think I've shared this with you before. And my grandfather, many of you knew him. He was deserving of honor. He's a good man. When he was diagnosed with brain cancer, and that tumor began to grow, and he would become very dis- confused and disoriented, he was living with my mom and dad, And in the middle of the night, he would get up and be very confused and try to walk and he'd fall. And so, my dad, to honor him, would make a bed on the tile in the hallway and listen for him because it's his dad. And that was the way he honored him. And even if my grandpa didn't deserve it, my dad still would have done it. I have another very close friend to me, whose dad has been anything but a dad in his life. This man, if any of you, any of you fathers would be proud to call him son. Well, as his father grew older, he had a pretty severe stroke. And he was out of state, so my friend flew with his wife to him, and he took care of him day and night, day and night, and helped him get back to to health. And as they were getting ready to leave, they were sitting around the dinner table, and his father looked him in the eye and said, you have dishonored me because my friend knew the lifestyle that had brought on the stroke, and it involved relationships that were not healthy, and those people tried to see his father in that hospital, and he would not let them, because he cared about his father. And so when they sat at that table, and his father had heard that he had kept his friends out, that's what his dad said to him, you dishonor me. And I know for a fact, if that were to happen to his father again, he would be right back in that same place, honoring his father, not because his father deserves it, but because God has commanded it. And that helps me, when I hear that story, to again see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. And man, it breaks my heart when I hear about kids not allowing their parents to see their grandkids. That's not honoring them. I understand there are some toxic relationships. I hate using that word, but there's truly unhealthy relationships. And sometimes you have to protect your children from just really broken lifestyles. But that's That's the outlier. Sometimes it's just bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. But God's calling us to something deeper than that. Children, honor your parents. And some of us in our 40s, 50s, and 60s have to hear that. Honor your parents. And let me just touch on this real quick and we'll move on. Parents, can we please give our children an example of godly submission? How can we tell our kids to obey us when we're not obeying God? That doesn't, it doesn't add up. They're smarter than that. How can we tell our kids, hey, make sure you obey us. We're your parents, but behind the scenes, we're like, hey, don't tell your mom I bought this, or it says no U-turn here, but man, I'm going to do it anyway, or Pastor John's used this example. You're on the phone, or the kids pick up the phone. Someone on the other line, sales, or someone you don't want to talk to, tell them I'm not here. It's really easy to tell others to submit to God-given authority. And sometimes it's difficult to submit to it ourselves. I see this a lot with teachers today. Parents and their kids. It used to be my mom and my dad and the teacher versus me. My mom, my dad, and the teacher were on the same team, and I knew that I wasn't getting between that. But now, that's just not the case. And again, I know teaching, the the whole education system has some challenges right now, but either it's God-given authority or it isn't. And do we show our kids that we trust God? Maybe not the person in the office, but we trust the office as being God-given All right, kids, that's it. Now back to the men. You guys thought it was all over on, but now we're, we got verse 4. And you fathers, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I'll be honest, I had a hard time getting through this section. Because if our culture needs to hear something, it needs to hear this. Fathers, train up your children in the Lord. Bring them up in godliness. Let me read something to you. This is a little heavy handed, I'm going to warn you. Um, But then, once I share when it was written, it might make more sense. Every baby starts life as a little savage. If you don't believe that, you've never had a baby. I invite you to take a, a week in the nursery and uh, experience that. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and totally self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his friend's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny him these things, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness that would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue on in their self-centered world of infancy, every child would grow to be a criminal. Guys, that was published in 1926 by the Minnesota Crime Commission. And they've run study after study after study since, and they are finding that to be absolutely true. You look at the issues within our culture, and it's really, it's just toddlers grown old We don't know how to say, we don't know how to hear a no. We don't know what it means to not get what we want when we want it. See, there's an uncomfortable truth that I don't know why we're not talking about more. Between 70 and 80% of long-term prison inmates come from what? Fatherless homes. Does that mean every individual that grows up in a fatherless home home, is going to be a criminal? Not at all. There's some single moms that are just crushing it. But was that God's design? Do you think if you asked them, hey, would you appreciate some help, they would deny it? They would say no? 70 to 80% of long-term prison inmates come from fatherless homes. There was no one to say, no, that's not it. That's not how we live. We don't live for ourselves. We live for others. It makes sense that an enemy who wants to destroy individuals, destroy men and women who are created in the image of God, has set his sights on families. Because if you destroy the family, you destroy the culture. And young people, this is what we're training up to be. Men and women that can create a safe home to raise our kids in a home that is loving and centered on the person of Christ. So fathers, listen. Train up your kids. And where does this begin? It begins with being present. It begins with being present. And guys, that goes well beyond living in the same house. Because you know as well as I know we can be in the same room as our kids and not be present with our kids. There's a story about a a classroom, and during show-and-tell, elementary kids were telling what their dads did for a living. My daddy is the president of his company, one said. He travels all over the world. Well, my daddy is really rich, said another. We have nice cars and a pool and even an airplane. My daddy, said a little boy, is a professional baseball player. Kids and teachers alike were impressed with the stories until a little girl in the back of the room cautiously said, my daddy Is here. Again, a a little heavy handed, but I think it gets the point across. I'm saying a, a father who owns a business can't be present with his kids, but life, this is what I hear sometimes. Well, I'm providing them with a good life. I'm not home at all because I'm providing them with a good life. Listen, a good life is a life with you in it. That's what matters. To your kids. They don't need all the toys as much as they need you. We, we weren't very well off growing up, but I have wonderful memories with my dad and mom because they were present. My dad was a hard worker. My dad is a hard worker. My mom's a hard worker, but they were present with us, so I have great memories. And I don't remember the toys they'll forget the toys, but they won't forget the time that you've spent with them. So being present means putting down the phone and giving them our time and our attention. See, here's the deal. Children obeying your parents, this would not be a radical message for the Roman Empire. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, this church, um, when they hear obey your parents, that's kind of the norm. It's a, it's a, Really, a a a general moral uh, understanding. Yeah, kids better respect us. That was their mindset. But then, when Paul starts talking about fathers taking time for their kids, think about this for a second. And in the Roman Empire, unwanted babies were abandoned. If you had a child and you didn't want it, you just abandoned it. The weak, the weak children, the deformed ones—they were killed. Children in general were seen as an inconvenience standing in the way of personal pleasure. The the, uh, care of a child was often seen as the mother's job. And if not the mother's job, the household servant's job. The father, the father was off living his life. So when Paul says, dads, train up your kids, this would have been radical but not radical for Jesus. Because Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the children of God belongs to such as these or whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Psalm 127, the psalmist writes that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. And again, that's something that our culture has lost. There's a, just a, a, a prominent idea now that man, kids are just another expense. But I'll tell you, and I'll stand up here, and I'll boldly say, my kids are a gift to me, a gift I don't deserve. Because I, 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 I wish I could say that I was a gift to my parents growing up, and so I always thought, oh man, I, what, what kind of kids am I going to have if I put my parents through that? But instead, God gave me a, a son who is wicked intelligent, but also has a self-discipline and a drive. I don't know where it comes from, and I'm proud of him every single day. I have a daughter who is deeply concerned with others. She's the type of of kid that you come home and and she knows something's wrong. And she's like, Dad, what's wrong? And she cares. She genuinely cares. My son Isaiah is so fun to be around. He's one of the most laid-back people I know. And he still will climb up in bed with us. Sorry, Isaiah, don't... Wake up in the morning and he's in, in the bed snuggling up. After today, probably that's over. But, and then Ezra, my youngest, I have no idea what's going on with him. But uh, they're a gift. And so young adults, I, 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 young fathers, it's our responsibility To prepare prepare our children to navigate through this fallen world. And that takes time and effort. Because it's a world of peril out there. And they need to know that someone has their back. And we're not trying to make them afraid of the world. But we want to introduce them to the one who walks with them through the valley of the shadow of death. So by the time they leave our house, they know not only can they depend on us. But they can depend on the one true God. Do not, and, and here's Paul's warning, don't provoke your children to wrath. What does that mean? That means as dads, we have a temptation to take out our frustrations in life on those who are weaker than us and happen to live in the same home as us. If we're not careful, we will break their spirit. Fathers, don't upset Now, this is what it doesn't mean. Fathers, don't upset your precious little children. You're going to make them mad. If you're training up your kids in the way they should go, you're going to upset them. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't crush your children. Don't break their spirit. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become what? Discouraged. That literally means spiritless, a shell of themselves. You enter the room and they cower. That's sin. There's a difference between correcting and condemning. There's a difference between molding and shaping and training up and then just coming in and tearing them down and saying, oh, I'm just preparing them for the world. No, you are just frustrated with yourself and you're taking it out on your kids. Stop. There's proactive training, and then there's just being reactive. We're their protector, their provider. And it's okay for a healthy fear and respect, but that's different than being afraid. You know, my dad, again, I'm sorry to embarrass him, but that's my example. My dad showed me what this was. I I did something to my mom that I'm embarrassed to even say from the pulpit. And he saw it and he came and he grabbed me and he threw me in my room and he closed the door and he walked away. And I realized as I sat there on my floor that he was protecting me from himself. Dad, sometimes we go too far. So again, this is our reminder. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So again, just to close this portion, here's a reminder, and some of your parents, kids have already left home, and they're adults, and they have kids, and can you give me an amen? Our, <laughs> our kids are not our own, right? This is, a, this is what I'm struggling with right now. Our kids are not our own. They're God's. He's allowed us to care for them. He's allowed us to love them and to train them up. And then what do we have to do? Set them free. And I cannot stress enough how short that time is. I'm going to show you a picture I took last week. That was last week. It feels like last week. If you know my kids, that's not what they look like now. (laughs) Let me show you one more, or a couple more here. I promise this isn't family photo time, but this is upstairs in the children's ministry. This is Dee Dee. Dee Dee, you haven't aged a second. My son has. This is his first day of kindergarten. This week he started his senior year. It's like that. feels like last week. Let me show you a picture I took last month. You know these people. There's Lance and Ann Carson, Pastor John and Becky, and my dad holding me next to my mom. That's, you guys remember that? Probably feels like a couple months ago. I show that just because that's how quickly life passes by. We have this short time with our kids. Let's make the most of it. The phone can wait. And I'm saying this to me just as much as I'm saying it to any other father. That time is going to go by too fast. So make the most of it. All right, let's close here in verse 5. Now this is, again, this is hard to hear a lot of... um, critics of scripture will say that scripture encourages slavery. Guys, that's someone who has never read the Bible, or they have not read it with a a desire to understand. Nobody can read the teachings of Jesus and think that it's okay to buy and sell humans as property. I, I have to say that. But Paul is writing to a culture where slavery is common. But it's not the same slavery that that our nation experienced. The Roman Empire uh, was spreading. And when you conquer nations, you can either kill or enslave. And so there was hundreds of thousands of slaves within the Roman Empire. And so Paul is writing to that culture... In that moment. So he writes, and we try to tone it down. We translate it bondservants. The word is slaves. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not for eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants to Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, you do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. It's very likely that Paul is talking to household servants, ones who lived with the family. See, again, Bible never condones buying or selling humans against their will, but Paul he's not prescribing something, but he's describing how we are to exist or they were to exist in this unfortunate reality. And the principles that we see here, they apply just as much to employees and employers as it does to bond servants and their masters. And I call this vocational evangelism, meaning we so often put parts of our lives in compartments. This is my work life, this is my home life, this is my church life. It should never be that way. I'm a born again follower of Jesus Christ, whether I'm at work or at home or at church. It's who I am. And that's what Paul says. It's not about who you appear to be in front of your boss, it's about who you are. You are serving the Lord. Do everything you do as if you're doing it unto the Lord and not to men, because the main thing that's at stake is the gospel, your witness. So whether you're at a home, loving and serving your wife, at work, serving an employer, or at church, using your gifts to build one another up, understand that you're doing it to the Lord and not to men. William Barclay once wrote, the conviction of the Christian workman is that every single piece of work he produces must be good enough to show to God. Do we see our vocation that way? See, there's this broken mindset again in my generation that says, I'll work hard when I find the right job. I'll work hard when I find something that's worthy of my efforts. You know what you're doing? You're training yourself to be lazy. Paul says, masters, do the same things to them giving up threatening. So Paul's essentially bringing masters and servants onto a level plane. He's saying, you guys are equal. Give up threatening. There's no partiality with God. God does not see one of you as more important and one of you as less important. Serve one another. Again, a radical command for this culture but again reveals the heart of Christ.